godly influence. Seems like every time Father's Day comes around, I have to be careful because that's one thing that I like to talk about and share because it's such an important subject. Remember one year I started talking on it, I preached on it for about 15 Sundays. And I don't want to get that long again, but I wanted to share some things with you this morning concerning a godly influence. Turn with me to Genesis, the second chapter. We have to go to the very root to find out what we're talking about, why it's so vital, why it's so important. I don't think there's anything more vital than for a husband or a father to have a godly influence in the home. Now, I know there are homes that have not had a godly influence from the father, and somehow the home still survived because of the prayers and the strength of the woman. But God's intention and God's purpose is that the man be a godly influence in the home to affect the wife and the children. Looking at Genesis, the second chapter, beginning with verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an, singular, an helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowls of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. I've always said I am glad that Adam had the opportunity to name the animals all himself. And then the Lord gave him a helpmeet. It might have been a little more difficult. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Then Genesis 3.16 Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy delight shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Genesis eighteen 19. I'm just rushing through these right now, but I want you to see a basic truth. Genesis eighteen nineteen. God having called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, gave the reason for it. He says, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken concerning him. Now, I know that there are many men that just get excited about those verses I just read and said, Honey, did you hear that? Did you get that? Do you understand that? I'm it. Right here. This is the source. Everything rotates around this. Now, just in order to bring balance into this truth, would you turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter? Men, keep on listening now. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, beginning with the 25th verse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We rule with love. We rule with compassion that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy, it should be holy and without blemish. 
so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Tremendous responsibility God, by divine decree, has placed upon a husband, upon the man, to lead his wife and lead his family. And the Bible says, rule over them. And I want you to know that that's not based upon superior intelligence, superior ability, superior knowledge, superior understanding. It has nothing to do with that. I want you to know I have been in homes where their, the wife had superior knowledge and superior understanding and superior talents and all the rest of it. But even in the midst of that, God says, I have ordained that the man rule in the home, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I say that because it does not state that because man is superior, he is supposed to do it. God does not say that man is superior. But God says, I have a divine order, and if you will submit to my order, I'll bless you. And let me say again, there have been many a woman who could make it on her own, who learned God's principle of submitting to the husband in a godly relationship. And God has honored that family and God blesses that family when they will come into divine order. Now, I know that there are some people who think that the, the nation of Israel were very uh, male chauvinistic. They did what God told them to do. Paul the Apostle, when he speaks in the New Testament concerning leadership in the church, he says that it's to be the men who are leading the church, and he gives the reason for it. He said because it was the woman that was deceived in the garden. God spoke this to him. It was the woman that was deceived, therefore men should be in leadership. Now I say this in the midst of understanding that we're in a day and age when we're told of all the equality that's to take place in this world. I want to tell you something. I don't believe in equality. I believe that there are women that are better than men. A lot better than a lot of men I know. But if they're smart, they'll obey God and come into divine order because God said it in His Word. And He'll bless them if they'll do it. When a man refuses and acquiesces as far as divine responsibility is concerned, there's a lot of trouble and problems that come into the family. I've seen men who are too lazy to take the responsibility. All they want to do is come home and sit and watch the television and, and uh, eat food and drink all night and they just leave all the responsibility to their wives and just say, kids, just don't leave. Don't bother me. I'm tired. I don't want to be messed with. Just leave me alone. I've seen that happen in homes. I've seen henpecked husbands. When I say henpecked, I mean they've come to a place where they don't dare open their mouth for fear they're just going to get bombarded by their wives. And they just acquiesce and back off. And just Let me tell you something. If you want to take the responsibility away from men, most men will give it to you very quickly, very gladly, happily give it to you. But then when you want them to take it back again, uh-uh, they'll just back off and leave it alone completely because they become henpecked, they become discouraged, they become beaten down, they feel like they're a failure. And then to bring them back to where they say, you say, this is God's ordained position for you to rule the family, you'll find it's very, very difficult to get them to do it. The end result, usually when a man is lazy or gives up or uh, is henpecked and, and just lets go, 
is before long the children become very, very confused and resentful. They don't understand. They know the authority is supposed to come from there, but many times they'll go to the, the mother because the father refuses to take the responsibility. The wife becomes confused. The wife becomes very resentful many times, feels unprotected, feels like she doesn't have someone that she can be overshadowed by. And she usually compensates. If you're not going to take care of me, I won't take care of your situation. And that begins to build real problems in the family. One aspect is where a man will back off completely. The other aspect is where he says, bless God, I'll take the reins here and rule and reign in this house. You see me, this is it. This is authority right here. You will do what I tell you to do, and you'll do it now. Now we run into all kinds of problems in the other direction. Nowhere does the Word of God say that we're to beat our family into order. And I've said it time and time again, husbands, if you can learn one thing, fathers, learn that all submission is voluntary. Remember when you were young and your mom and dad told you to do something, you had a choice. You could either do it or not do it. And the harder people tried to drive you to do it, you might even do it on the outside, but inside resentment and rebellion stands up. And God's saying to you to learn how to rule with love because if you don't, I'll tell you, if you're adversarial in your rule, if you have a uh, get angry, violent when you, and cruel when you get mad and try to correct your children or speak to your wife. It isn't going to be very, very long, but the, as I used to hear when I was a kid, remember chickens come home to roost. Someone said one time that your children will do whatever you tell them to do up to the age of 15. Whatever you say, they'll do, but after 15, they'll begin to do what you do. Let me say that again. You can rule and reign and be the big ogre in the family and beat your kids into submission if you want to when they're little. They'll do what you tell them to do until they're 15, whatever you say. But after 15, they'll begin to do what you do instead of what you say. Well, religion's not important to dad, it's not important to me. I mean, if dad's going to get angry and throw the food across the table, if he's going to slam dishes against the wall, he's going to kick the screen door out, I can do that same thing. You'll begin to do the very thing that you and I do in our home as they get older. Of course, when I, whenever you rule and reign in a house as the ogre of the family, generally speaking, you'll find a woman whose spirit has been broken. She becomes very defensive. She feels betrayed. She gave herself to you, expecting to be protected, and hasn't been. You'll find that she begins to withdraw. And then, of course, you get more resentful, and you have meaner things to say to her, and it drives her further away from you. You know, that's the end result has been what we call the women's liberation movement today because of mistreatment of women. Men who think that they are secondary citizens, the end result is that now there are group groups that have been raised up that literally hate men, want nothing to do with it. They are going to show those men. They're not going to tell them what to do. This world, this nation right now is so full of women who have been hurt and betrayed, who have been just torn up and their spirits have been killed. And men are looking around saying, well, what in the world's wrong with these women? Why can't we get them straightened out? Then we've driven them to the way or to the position they're in today. I'm not justifying what they're doing. I'm just simply saying we're, it's the same thing that happened between labor and management. Management got to the place where they were ruling and reigning and controlling everybody and mistreating workers. And so they raised up with the unions and they came back and they started doing all sorts of wrongful things toward the, man, the management. And now they're trying to find a new place of balance. I want to say that women today are looking for someone who will lead, someone who will take the responsibility that God has given them in the home. A woman's greatest need, and men, if you've never learned this, let me try to just get this across to you. 
A woman's greatest need is not finances, but security. I've seen many women who have lived in homes where they have very, very little, and they've been very happy because they feel secure in the love and affection and care of their husband. I wish that men could get these things straightened out and realize that women are not impressed with a big paycheck as much as they are a man with a big heart who will love them and put them first in their lives. They've got to have that security. The child's greatest need, daddies, if you can learn this, it'll help too. First of all, they need to be accepted as a person. You need to recognize them as a person, someone who is important, someone who has ideas, someone who has thoughts. You develop and help train those thoughts. You help uh, develop and train those appetites that they have, the desires that they have as children, not by beating them into line, but by encouraging them and touching them, strengthening and loving and encouraging them along. I remember when Jody and Jeffrey were very small and they were trying to even learn how to speak. I'd set them on my lap and I would go through them with words and I'd say, can you make this sound? Can you make that sound? Can you make this sound? And for long I'd say, now say this word. I still remember, so humorous for me, when Jody used to try to say wello. That banana is wello. And I'd say, can you say yes? And she'd say yes. I said, can you say yay? And she'd say yay. I said, can you say yellow? She'd say wello. But I would just work with her and work with her and she'd say, yeah, 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 wello. It was important for me to teach them how to progress, how to go, and then encourage them and build them up. Now, that never stops to this very day. It still is true, and she's still my baby. Children have to have boundaries. Accepted as a person, they have to have boundaries. They've literally had in courtrooms across the country young people when they've finally been sentenced to prison because they've gotten out into crime and... and, uh, doing things that they knew were against society, that they've literally turned around and said to their mom and dad, why didn't you say no to me? Why didn't you make it stick? Why didn't you mean what you said when you told me not to do that? You say, well, they're just trying to blame their parents. No, they're saying something there. They're saying, we want limitations. We want boundaries. Now, let me tell you ahead of time, dad, they will always be bumping that boundary to see if it's really a boundary or not. They'll just do that incessantly. They'll get bruises all over their body, hitting that wall. Is that really a wall? Did you really mean that? And in love, you come back and say, Honey, feel that wall. That wall will never move. That's called a conviction. That's called a standard that we're going to have in our home. Oh, Dad, do you really mean it? I really mean it. That is a wall. And they've got to have those parameters. Children today that are nervous and distraught all the time, we're told, is because they don't know what their limits are and they want someone to tell them where they belong and what they should and shouldn't do. Oh, they'll kick and squall and everything else, but you just have to keep reassuring them. That's all right, darling. I love you no matter what. You might as well simmer down because that's the way it is under this roof. I love you. Now, here's why it's that way. Because the Word of God says thus and such. By the way, I was always told when I was out in business, if ever I had to make a decision, always do it in the third person. If you're in a church, say, well, the board won't let me do this. And when children say, well, my mom and dad won't let me do this. But if you want to use that, you simply go to them and say, I'm telling you, this is the way it's going to be because this is what the Word of God says. You've got God to stand behind you in a situation. You be- well, let me just say now, basically that means you better know what the Word of God says, doesn't it? Third thing your children need is a sense of destiny. A lot of these things I'm sharing with you, by the way, I've been reading uh, Charles Stanley's book lately, A Man's Touch. And I encourage all you women to get one for your husband. Let him read it through. A Man's Touch. Just a little booklet. 
but they need a sense of destiny. I look in some children's eyes, some young people's eyes, and I think there's no hope there. There's no anticipation there. There's no expectancy there. They're just kind of living day by day, week by week. Oh, well, it's almost Friday again. Oh, boy, here's Monday again. And there's no sense of destiny in their life. You say, what am I talking about? I'm talking about sometimes when you're working with your children, say, you know, I thank God for you. I really believe in my heart that God's got something special for you in the days ahead. How many of you young people know that I try to do that with you all the time when I come up and I tell you you're special? God's got something wonderful for you in the days ahead. God's got a purpose for you. You seek the Lord. God's going to use you one of these days. Any of you young people remember me ever saying that to you? Let's see your hand. Any of you? You know, I'm doing exactly what the Word of God says we're supposed to do, and I want to get that down in your heart where you really believe that God created you for a special purpose. You say, well, yeah, but I'm nobody, and we don't have anything, and we're not really... Don't ever say that. God created you especially with a purpose and a ministry in mind. You'll be able to do things for the kingdom of God that no one else will be able to do. And the degree to which you believe that in your heart and you commit yourself to Jesus Christ will be the degree to which you'll succeed. Don't just look up there and say, oh boy, as soon as I can get out of school, then I'm going to get married, then I'm going to have a family. No, don't set that as your goal. Say, I am every day going to get up and say, this day I commit this whole day and my whole life to Jesus Christ. And Lord, I want you to use me. Kingdom of God come, will of God be done in my life. Right today, starting now. How many of you young people go to grade school and high school expecting God's going to use you that day? How many of you go say, dear God, you're my shield and butler. You come and help me now on this test, so I'll just make it through the day. No, no, no. God says you just give your life to him completely, and whatsoever your hands find to do it, do it as unto the Lord. And then begin to say, Lord, you created me for a reason. Parents, listen to me. If your kids don't believe that God's got something for them in the days ahead, what they got to look forward to? Pollution? Atomic disasters, Russia, China, Nicaragua, immorality, AIDS, all that. Boy, they've really got a bright future to look forward to, don't they? You and I have to instill in them the fact that God said He created them uniquely for a special purpose in the days ahead. And you thank God for them and you're praying with them and you're believing God with them that they're going to see God work in their lives in the days ahead. You know something? You and I may not even begin to perceive what God has in store for some of these young people sitting in this building. I mean, we could have future missionaries, statesmen, heads of state. We could have people sitting, even higher than that, future preachers and evangelists. Preachers' wives. Housewives. Committed to Jesus Christ. Housewives are going to raise a whole quiver full of them for the glory of God. But if you don't give them that expectancy, God's got something special for you. They have nothing to look forward to in this world. Every day I believe that God still has a purpose for me. I still believe God has exciting purposes for every one of you. But until you begin to believe it and you begin to cause your children to believe it, you're not going to see the excitement of the Lord in their lives. Now that becomes a divine responsibility before God with our children. As far as our wives are concerned... Believe me, material things are not the ultimate. I have been in many a home where they have all the material things they need, 
but the husbands are having to work two and three jobs just to try to make ends meet. And it seems like the more money they get, the more money they need. And the higher it goes and the harder that he has to work. And he gets defeated and thinks he can't quite make it. So if you're trying to satisfy your wife and your family with money, you're going in the wrong direction. Because your, your wife and your children want you first. Not just what you can give them. If, they, if that isn't true in your life, then you really need to pray for them because they need to get their lives brought into line and understand the true purpose of God. And let me say, don't overdo it here. When you, some husbands want to give their wives everything they can possibly think of and their children everything they can possibly think of, you can overdo it very quickly and cause them to lose the perspective of being a good steward of God with the things that the Lord puts in your, puts in your hands. Let me tell you something. I have seen children who have had virtually nothing, and I've seen wives who have had to really scrape along, but their lives are full of joy and peace before because they found something much greater than just the material. Now, Jesus did not say there's anything wrong with money. He said it's the love of money that would cause problems in your life. God wants us to be able to desire to receive that we might be a blessing to others and to give as good stewards of the Lord, become conduits and not reservoirs, with the blessings of God in our lives. And the dangerous results are if you start just putting all the emphasis upon, honey, go get anything you want, just have everything. You begin to develop in her a sense of selfishness and irresponsibility when it comes to stewardship. I've known of some women who, when they gain weight, or excuse me, when they lose weight, they'll give away all their clothes and they'll buy a whole new wardrobe. And then they'll gain weight and they'll have to put all, leave all the clothes in the closet and put on a buy-all-new wardrobe again, and then get rid of the smaller ones. And up and down they go, constantly never realizing the, the tremendous cost that's involved in something like that. I remember Beverly, bless her heart, she used to have up and down. If she'd go up and down a little bit, she had clothes for all of them. She just kept them in her closet, and she would just wear them as she went up and down trying to do it. But, you know, sometimes if we just say, just sky's the limit, we lose the perspective that we're to be good stewards with what God gives us. We stand before Him. Of course, as far as children are concerned, if you want to get your children to be spoiled and not have to learn how to pray, just give them everything they want. Let me say that again. If they look to you and you're their source and you just give them anything they want, well, Daddy, I'd sure like to have this or that. Well, just go get it, honey. You're destroying your own children because they will have never learned how to trust God and believe God and then be, begin to realize that they need to take the responsibility and go and begin to earn these things for themselves. I used to be so upset with my father when he would not buy me a bicycle when every other kid in that neighborhood had at least one bicycle. Of course, I thought they all had four. You know, I was the only one I just so mistreated. But my dad said, well, hey, he says, you still got two feet and two hands? Go out there and start earning it. And I still remember every ball I'd go and shag at the ball field, they'd give me a nickel. I thought, boy, this is going to take, it took me over two years to earn enough for a bicycle. But let me tell you, I wasn't tearing my bicycle up like the rest of them were, whose dads just gave them one. If that got torn up, they'd give them another one. I tried to take care of that bike as well. I, I, it taught me responsibility. And that's why it, finances are not the total answer. We have to get the children to learn to take responsibility for themselves and begin to achieve things for themselves. And I want to tell you right now, one of the greatest things you can do for your children in your home is to give them responsibility. Assign them with duties in the home. Now, Jody and Jeffrey used to get an allowance. But that allowance was not just a free gift. They, we were all a part of the family, and so all of us had responsibilities in the home. 
And it was their responsibility to keep the room clean. And uh, it was their responsibility to take out the garbage. It was their responsibility to clean up the kitchen and do the dishes from time to time. Uh, these things were just gimmies. I mean, that was automatic. It wasn't, do I have to do it again tonight? Oh, no, I just did it last week. That, that never happened in our house. That was just a gimme. They did it. And we only rewarded them when it was completed. Well, this week you didn't do this, so this week there's just a part of the allowance that won't be there, honey, because you decided that you didn't want to take your part of the responsibility in the family. Well, can I make it up next week? No, you can't make it up next week. You see, it's got to be done when it's supposed to be done. You complete the job when it's supposed to be completed. And then when they complete it, daddies, listen to me. Children need this so much. Encourage them. Compliment them even publicly when they do a good job. Don't ever compliment them when they don't finish it. One of the greatest problems employers are having today is young people who don't want to do what they tell them to do. Parents say, go do this. Yeah, I will, Ma. I said, go do this. Go do it now. Yeah, just a minute, Mom. I'll get at it in just a minute. Now! Well, you don't have to get all upset. They go out of the house and they go to an employment and the employer says, go clean that up over there. Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. Hey, fellow, that door swings both ways. I want you out the door right now. Well, what's the matter with you? What you getting all uptight for? Because mom and dad taught them that they didn't mean what they said. And when they say to do something, they're to do it now, and they're to be finish it completely. And when they do, then you compliment them, then you encourage them, then you declare that God's got some good things for them in the days ahead because they are showing signs of responsibility and maturity. Show them appreciation. But whenever you tell children to do something and they don't do it and you go ahead and give them whatever they need, you are teaching them irresponsibility. You are eliminating from them any sense of self-esteem and achievement. I know of men today who have never been able to finish anything worthwhile in their lives. They have never completed it. They start on this and they get discouraged and they run over here and they start on this and they go to college for a little while, come back and they go get this job. Well, I'm not pleased. All, and all the way through their life, you go back and see them as children that the exact thing, same thing happened in their home. They were never required to do anything or complete anything or anyone to be able to say to them, you have really achieved in this area. That's why the Word of God says, train up a child according to his bent. Find out what his interests and desires and, and his abilities are and develop those in the things of the Lord. If they work with their hands, teach them how to work. If they're musical, get them an instrument to play and compliment them and give them opportunities to do it. Use them for the kingdom of God's sake to where all of their joys, all of their blessings and all the things that they, have, they really have meaning for is inculcated into their walk of faith in Christ and in the church. When I see these young people that have been in church and have been used of God and then eventually you see they go out and they start looking like Tarzan and walking like Jane and smelling like Cheetah and they get off into the rock music and all that rebellion. You know, something happened back there at home where they weren't complimented, they weren't directed, they weren't channeled, they weren't encouraged, they weren't uplifted into the things of the Lord. They got all their claim and they got all their praise and they got all the, the rewards out there in the world when they start doing it for the devil. They do need some material Support. But that's not the most important thing. There's some things here that I, I really feel that some of you younger fathers need to get down in your spirit. Principles, biblical principles, you need to get down in your spirit so that you can begin to direct your children that in the days ahead they'll rise up to call you blessed and not what many of them are calling their daddies today. God wants them to call you blessed and be thrilled that you become a, they could become a joy to you. 
You know, I, I never dreamed in my wildest dreams coming from my background that God would give me that thrill to have my children rise up and call me blessed and serve the Lord and be able to say it, no regrets, no heartaches, no sorrows, thrilled day in and day out. I found myself again, and I, I just said, because I've been studying this again, reminding myself again, I, I just said, Jody, I hope I'm making myself clear to tell you how special you have been in my life, to tell you what a blessing you have been. What a thrill it's been to see you grow in the Lord, to see you take responsibility and see you able to do things for the Lord and all these things. See, over and over again. And, and she says, I know that. You've told me that all my life. And I said, well, honey, sometimes I wonder, have I made it clear enough how special you are, how wonderfully special you really are to me? And that's what I was able to tell Jeff time and time again. Son, you will never know how thrilled I am to have the privilege of having a boy like you you say, well, Jeff is different from mine. No, he's not. It's just that Jeff understood that he was loved and appreciated and I expected God's best in his life. And if you and I go around telling our kids, you're dumb, you're stupid, can't you ever learn anything? What's the matter with you? I'll slap you side the head. They're going to grow up feeling like they can't do anything. They're going to feel like they have no self-worth. Dr. Stanley asked a little boy one time, tell me, Think about yourself for a moment and tell me what you think of yourself. He said, I'm a nobody. He said, what makes you think so? He said, I've always been a nobody. My dad said to me, I'm a nobody. You're just a nobody. The boy was out of school, in trouble all the time. You know, if we can't come home and get it at home, where in the world can we get it? God instituted the family first, the home first. That if the home is strong, the community and the nation will be strong. If the home is destroyed, nothing else will be strong. And I'm going to be sharing with some of you that are single parent homes too. That God has answers for you too. But I cannot emphasize strongly enough, men, God has called you with a divine decree and responsibility to raise up your children and to bless your wife and lead your family in the things of God to have a godly influence every day of their lives. Talking about a godly influence. A godly influence. Genesis, the 18th chapter. Last week we were talking about the fact of the reason for which God called Abraham. He doesn't leave us in the dark concerning this subject. He makes it very clear in verses 18 and 19, right after he had told, God had told Abraham that he was going to have a child, and Sarah laughed about it. In fact, that's why they called their son Isaac, because it meant laughter, always to remind them that they laughed when God said, you're going to have a son. I think God has a real sense of humor sometimes when I see what he has men do to remember what he told them. But in verse 18, it says, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know, now this is God speaking, for I know that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Isn't that wonderful for God to say, you know, I know Abraham well enough to know that he's going to raise his children and instruct and direct his family as he's supposed to so that I can bring the blessings on him that I promised him. You know, this says a whole bunch to me. 
that if I don't raise my children and uh, direct my family as I ought to, God has to withhold blessings from my family because of my unwillingness to do what he tells me to do. He said, because Abraham does this, I can now give him the blessings. Now, let me tell you something. I believe Abraham, God said Abraham was going to do it. I believe God, Abraham did it because if you'll turn over to, Abraham, to Genesis 24 and verse 1, it said, and Abraham was old and well stricken in age. That's bad English. That's the old English. Actually, what he is saying is Abraham was old and advanced in years. He wasn't stricken with old age. He was advanced in, in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham what? In what? What's, how many is all? There wasn't an area in Abraham's life that God didn't bless. Why? Because God said, I know Abraham that he'll raise his children and he'll direct his family in a way that will allow me to bless him. Now you say, Brother Webb, that's kind of heavy. Well, let me tell you something. In the New Testament, remember, the Word of God says very clearly that if I do not treat my family properly and, and deal with my wife properly, that my prayers are cut off. And how many of you know that if my prayers are cut off, God can't bless me? Now, let me say something right at the very beginning. Y'all listening? Now, listen closely. What I'm telling you, you don't let the devil beat you over the head with a club. You don't get under the, under the table on this. You don't crawl under the pews. I'm laying down biblical truths and principles so that you can say from this day forward, by the grace of God, now that I know what God's Word says, I'm going to do it. How can you and I expect to do something we don't know? God doesn't expect us to do something we don't know or give something we don't have. So when I, I've had people say, oh man, I just feel so miserable when you say those things. I said, why? The first time you ever heard the gospel, you felt miserable too, but you did something about it, didn't you? Then you felt good inside because you responded to the gospel. Well, if I'd only known those things, well, good night. If there's a lot of things, if I'd only known, I wouldn't have made all the mistakes I made either. But let me tell you something. We learn by our mistakes. How many of you know there's things in your life you'd never want to go through again, but thank God you had to go through them once because you learned something important from them? All right? God says, Abraham, I know you, and I know you're going to raise your children, I know you're going to direct your family, and therefore I can bless you. And then he says, and God blessed Abraham in all things. You know that Christ died on the cross, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Did you know that? He became a curse for us. Christ became a curse for he took the curse for us that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. How many of you are Gentiles? How many of you, when you accept Christ, realize you've become children of Abraham and all the blessings that God had for Abraham, he has available to you? But how many of you know that the only way they're going to come to us is the same way they came to Abraham? Not by being a hearer of the word, but by being a doer of the word, say it seems so simple. Some people say, I don't just never saw that before. I think, well, it's an open book test. Read it. It's just as simple as it can be. If God says, Abraham, do this and I'll bless you, you and I can walk up and say, hey, God, if I do that, will you bless me? Absolutely. I'm no respecter of persons. See, there's tremendous, first of all, when I teach these things concerning being a godly influence in the home on the part of the fathers, it's a tremendous responsibility. And the first thing is, oh my goodness, I can't handle this. But I want you to know Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your soul. Jesus said, Get in the yoke with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to obey your word. I'm going to put on your yoke, and I'm going to let you help me carry that load. 
Whatever responsibility you put on me, I'm going to learn how to do it according to your word, and I'm going to believe you're going to give me the strength and wisdom every day to do. Now, let me tell you ahead of time. When you begin to try to do something, immediately you're in warfare and the enemy is going to come against you. My children have said a lot of times to me, Daddy, don't speak on finances. Because every time you start speaking on finances, the devil comes along and tries us on finances. Don't talk about faith. Dad, don't preach too much on faith because then the enemy comes and tries our faith, Daddy. What do you think happens the minute God begins to speak to you by His Holy Spirit about doing something about your family? All things bust loose. It's the next morning you wake up and uh, everything's gone. I mean, the clothes in the dryer all got twisted up. The clothes in the washers got ripped. Or else some rust went into the washer and the coffee boiled over on the stove and the eggs are burning and your wife comes out and she's lost something and she can't find it and a kid drops something in the bathroom, smashes it all over the bathroom floor and you go, Aah! you have to stop and say, oh, oh, pastor's been preaching on Homel again, on the home, ordering my family well. I'll just mark it down. Whenever truth comes to you, the enemy's going to be there, first of all, to try to snatch it away from you and discourage you so you can't walk in it. Tremendous responsibility, but if you will commit yourself to do the will of God at any cost and say, I have come this far and I'll stand, I don't care if everything falls down around me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to stand. And I, if I fail, I'm going to get right back up and go on. If I fail, I'm going to get right back up and go, go, go on. I'm going to walk this thing out by faith in obedience to your word. Because if you do, even though there's great responsibility, there's also great blessing. And I found that whenever men refuse to lead as God tells them to lead, it causes confusion in the home. It causes uh, perversion in the homes many times. We're told by those that are studying the, the problem of homosexuality and lesbianism today that in a vast majority of those situations, it's where the husband refuses to lead and the mother dominates in the home. And it causes confusion and it causes perversion in the lives of many of the young people. You see, whenever God says do something, and if you do it, it'll bless, be a blessing. And if you don't do it, there are consequences, and that's why he tells us to do it. You see, he laid those ten hot ones on the nation of Israel there and said, here, try these on. And they said, whoa, we can't do these things. He said, if you will keep your heart and mind clear to try to do these things, I'll bless you. If you don't do it, if you break these things, then curses come upon you. And I don't want curses come on you. I want you to be blessed. And so when God says, do it this way, it's always because it's for our good and our best. Tremendous blessings can come from it. I said there's two aspects. First of all, I said last week that husbands many times will pull back and let the wife run the house. And then you have problems there. Then there's the other extreme where they come forward and say, I am the king of the mountain. Everyone else moves when I say move. You say how high when I say jump, but you do it on the way up. No arguments whatsoever. I am the first and the last and there's none beside me. You shut up and get in line. The end result of that type of leadership in the home is also very devastating because most of the time the wife and the children have a broken spirit. They're devastated inside. They have no self-worth. They become defensive. They begin to withdraw. You know what? God says that you need to be the leader in the home in a balanced way because it gives your children an idea of what it's like to relate to God the Father. And we don't want to have a distorted picture of God the Father. A woman's greatest need, we said last week, is not finances, but rather it's security. And if a husband can learn that, that what a woman needs more than anything else is a sense of security in her life. The children's greatest need, I said last week, was acceptance as an individual person. 
I didn't emphasize this last week, but let me say it right now. I say that you must find out every child's individual bent. My first child was totally different from my second child. If I'd have had a third or a fourth or a fifth, it'd all been absolutely different. And I would never, by the grace of God, I hope I will never say to them, why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? Because the automatic answer should come back, because I'm not my brother, because I'm not my sister. I am a person. I am individual. I have drives. I have motivations. I have desires. I have talents that they don't have. And you have to begin to understand, first of all, acceptance for who they are individually. Give them boundaries to where they know what the parameters of, of uh, accepted lifestyle will be and love them within that standard. Love them if they step out, but bring them back in firmly and say those are the parameters, those are the walls, and they'll never move. The third thing is to give every one of them a sense of destiny. Where when your children are around you, they feel a sense of self-worth and importance. My child can do. I still remember when my kids were in college. And they'd come home and say, boy, this is a heavy one. This is really tough. What's going on, honey? Well, we got to do this, this, and this, and this. I said, any of the others in class having trouble? They seem to all be having trouble. I said, then don't worry about it. You'll come out on top. You'll do as well or better than any of the rest of them. Don't you ever worry about that. My boy can do it. My girl can do it. And how many of you know that when they begin, you begin to show them and encourage them and help them, they'll say, before long, when God speaks to them, they say, by the grace of God, I can do that. But when a parent comes around the child and says, oh, shut up, you don't know anything, you big dummy, don't you ever learn anything, I'll slap you side of the head, you say that again, you're just worthless, you're just no good whatsoever. Before long, let me tell you something, that gets into, into the spirit of that child, and they begin to believe that, and then rebellion begins to come out. It's unfair, I am nobody, I'm nothing. And I can't emphasize hard, uh, strongly enough for parents to realize you and I need to nurture and admonish and encourage and build up those children to where they become an, a person that identifies themselves as being worthwhile and have being able to be worthy to serve God. And love them and love them and love them within the home so they don't have to go outside and find affection and love. Distorted affection and love. Many of the young people today that go outside to find affection is because they're starved for affection at home. I've become concerned when children don't enjoy being in their own home. I always wanted our children to rather be home than anywhere else on earth. I never knew that they'd be there all, the, uh, all these years, but I thank God that they have been up till now. And anytime the Lord wants Jody to be married, that, that's fine. But in the meantime, she's always welcome at my house. In the meantime, she's, the, she's a queen on earth. And every day I tell her, you don't know. Before God, I don't think you realize how much I have appreciated you and what a blessing you've been to me in all the years you've been in this home. And you know, you've been such a joy to me and you'll always be a joy to me. You will always be the sweetest one I could, I've ever known in my life. One of these days, I'm trusting that some other fellow will tell her that too. But until he does, I'm going to keep on saying it. And even after he does, I'm going to keep on saying it too. Why? Because that's how God wants us to relate to our children. Where they have a sense of being someone. Now I said last week concerning a wife's needs, they have material needs. And when some people think, well, I've actually had some people say, well, listen, when I die, husbands, I say, do you have any security as far as your wife, or con wife and children are concerned if you die? Yeah. When I die, she can make it her own way as far as I'm concerned. I'll do the best I can while I'm here, but if I die, that's her tough luck, and she'll just have to pick it up from there and go on. 
You know, that, that woman's got to have a sense of real security when she hears something like that. In our first church, we had 150 widows, and I can't tell you how many of them were left totally destitute. Totally destitute because of husbands that didn't love their wives as they loved themselves. You see, if you and I as husbands are the breadwinner and we pass away, all of a sudden there's tremendous expenses for our family. I didn't have much insurance on Beverly, but I always had enough insurance on me in case anything happened. At least the, the immediate requirement bills would be taken care of for quite a while. Because I didn't know that she could go out and get a job playing a piano anywhere in the world if she was still around. And that's why I wanted Jody to get nursing and training to be a teacher under her belt. So if, if catastrophes came, she could always find a way that she didn't have to be destitute. But material needs are not the most important needs. Emotional needs are much greater as far as a wife is concerned. That's what I want to talk to you about. The emotional needs of a wife is, first of all, I believe with all my heart, she needs to have security from her husband through devotion to her. Now, that's a word that's not used much anymore. But I believe God's Word teaches very, very much when a man and a woman come together to become one flesh, that they must become devoted to one another. What does that mean? It means that, that you become first in each other's lives. It just devastates me, and it's beyond my comprehension. My computer goes tilt, will not compute. When I see fellows marrying a gal, and after they get married, all of a sudden saying, Now, honey... You can have a night out, but I'm taking two or three nights and doing whatever I want to do and going wherever I want to go. And I've got these buddies over here. And we're going to go do this and such. And even when she says, honey, I really need you here at home with the children. So you take care of it. I'm going. That is not security. That's not devotion to your bride. And I really believe if your wife's going to be secure, you've got to be devoted to her to where she becomes first in your life. Second, there must be trustworthiness on her part with you. Where whether you're at work, whether you're at home, wherever you might be, she can always know that she can put her trust in you completely. You will never do anything to hurt her or belittle her or to weaken her or to put her down in the sight of other people. I hope that no man in my congregation ever comes around me and talks about the old lady or the woman or the old wife. Because if you do, you'll receive from your pastor a very sharp rebuke. Because none of you, I can tell you honestly right now that none of you, before you ever got married, spoke of your sweetheart as the old lady. If you did, you really needed help. And secondly, she needed her head examined for marrying you. Trustworthiness. Where she always knows that she is going to be protected by you. Thirdly, she needs consistency in your part. I feel so badly for some women when they never know where their husband's going to be the next minute. One time he might be at the top of the wall, and next time he's in the grave. And next time he's, oh, uh, like this, next time he's dead. And he, No consistency in his life, and she doesn't know how to respond to him. I've had wives say to me, I, I don't know how to even start a conversation with my husband. I start to say something, he'll just blow up in my face and tell me to shut up and get out of his face. And I see their hearts just broken. And let me tell you something right now. And this is why I'm saying all these things. The word of God tells me that when I make a vow to God and I break it, I'm going to answer to God and he'll destroy the work of my hands. I don't know what that does to you, but that terrifies me sometimes. When God says, if you make me a promise and you break it, I will begin to destroy the work of your hands. And I want to remind you that you and I, if you're married, you went to an altar and said, I will love and honor and cherish this woman. 
I'll get into that a little bit more as we go along. But she needs to be constantly reassured by you. I'm talking about a man with a godly influence in the home. She needs to be reassured of your love on a continuous basis. Every single day. Not just once a day, not once a week. But every opportunity you've got, let her know that you love her. You know, I, I sometimes wonder why I'm even preaching this. Because this is all I've experienced in our home. If Jody's walking through the house, she may be very busy with something, and I'm very busy with something, and I walk by, and she'll walk by me, I'll say, love you, darling. Love you, darling. You're special, honey. And I sit here thinking, why do you have to tell people this? But then I start counseling people, and they say, I don't know, I've never had that happen in my home before. And it just seems so logical if I am supposed to love someone and give my devotion to someone that there should be the constant reassurance that like I love you before we're married, I love you even more now. You see, I thought I was in love before I got married to Beverly. I didn't even know what love really was. It kept getting better every year. And if it isn't, don't blame God. Look back and say, where have I violated a principle that God has established in His Word? He said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The second aspect of, of security for the wife is not only in these areas, but in the area of affection. And the minute you say that, many husbands' ears perk up and say, yeah, yeah, amen, brother, preach it. Love and affection toward the wife. But you see, a lot of people don't understand what love and affection really is. We, we hit on this Friday night, last Friday night. Love and affection is not just the physical act. Love and affection is the constant reassurance, the little touches, the little words, the little looks that you give your wife all day long. You can't get up and scream at the woman because her, the meal wasn't on just at the right time and say, this house looks like a hog pen, it looks like a slop house. What's the matter with you, woman? Get your act together. And then all of a sudden walk in the bedroom and think it's going to be music and roses and all the sweetness. That's not the way it works. Women want to be constantly courted and held in a place of respect and honor. And let me tell you something. They will respond automatically when you respond to them that way. Some people just think, well, just flick the switch. Here I am, baby. I got news for you. You've been watching too many movies and reading too many magazines. A woman loves to respond to love. Not just, I'm not talking about just physical act. I'm talking about where they feel and know and have confident assurance and the security that they're loved every single day. They need to be given love and affection, as I said, with a look and a touch and a word. Now, by word, I mean compliment your wife. I'm talking about encouraging your wife all the time. Compliment. When was the last time you told her how much you thought about her? How good some food was that you cooked for that she cooked for I've seen some people come to the trough and eat it, push the plate away, and get up and grunt and walk in and sit down and, and expect the wife to pick up the dishes and carry it back in the kitchen and clean the mess up. And I think, you know, hogs even grunt more than once when they're eating. Not a thank you, not, oh, how wonderful this was. Boy, this was delicious or anything else. And then if you ask them to help clean up, that's woman's work. It's an amazing thing to me how so many husbands want their wives to help them in everything that they're doing. Go get this, go get that. They're just gophers. But when they get home, they want to prop their feet up, get that paper in front of them, and turn on that game on television, and honey, serve me. And then wonder why the wife resents them. 
They need to be complimented and encouraged continuously. I still remember when Beverly and I first got married, she was trying to learn how to cook. I told you that when she was a little girl or in high school, her mother and father used to do the dishes and her mother did all the cooking in order that Beverly could practice for three hours a day. And cooking, if she had to do dishes, it was a punishment, basically, because she wasn't practicing when she was supposed to be practicing. So when Beverly got married, she had had very little practice in cooking. And she treated me like a god for the first couple of months. She gave me burnt offerings every day. But she was trying all the time. And when she didn't burn something badly, I'd say, Honey, this is good. You're doing better all the time. And uh, I still remember when she made me that first apple pie. And she labored over that thing. I mean, she cut the little strips of, of crust and wove them in a, a, a little basket weave across the top of that apple pie. And she cut it out and set it in front of me. Her face was just all lighted up with expectancy. And I dug into that, put it in my mind. And she looked at me, what's the matter? I don't know. And she tasted it. She said, oh, no, I forgot to put sugar in it. I forgot to put sugar in it. I said, it doesn't make any difference. Put your finger in it, honey. That'll sweeten it up. I said, here, I'll put some sugar on the top of it. Doesn't make any difference. When I get through and you give me a kiss, it'll be as sweet as it needs to be. I could have just, you know, what, for pity's sake, you don't even know how to do anything. You can't put sugar in it. Let me tell you, a lot of husbands do that and destroy the relationship that they have with their wife. At the same time, if you make a mistake and they say, honey, you made a mistake, don't tell me what I did wrong. We want to be complimented. And you know, we just have to go back to that one verse that says, do unto others as you want others to do unto you. Say unto others what you want others to say unto you. Be unto others what you want others to be unto you. And I said it Friday night and I'll repeat it tonight. There are five reasons for divorces and problems in the home. Five reasons. I'm going to give them to you quickly. Selfishness. Selfishness. Selfishness, selfishness, and selfishness. Where we think about what we want and what we're going to do more than we do the one we said we're going to love and honor and cherish. We need to spend time with our wives. A lot of people say, you know, I really wish I could love the Lord like some other people do. First, my first thought is how much time do you spend with Him? I've had, I've had husbands literally say that if, I, if my wife... If I ever change my mind, I'll tell my wife, but I told her I loved her years ago, and she knows that I do, and there's no need for me to go around telling them all that. Yes, we need to talk with them. We need to spend time with them. How many of you remember, before you got married, how you didn't want to go on a double date? You sure didn't want to stay at the house of the parents' house. Boy, you wanted to get off all alone, and it seemed like if you weren't together uh, physically, you were on the phone by the hour. How many of you remember doing that when you were dating? How many of you moms and dads remember when the kids did that, huh? Always wanted to be alone. And as soon as you get married, you don't want to be together anymore. What's going on? Something happened there that you need to go back and check out because you need to spend time with your sweetheart. You know why a lot of wives and husbands get into trouble? They spend more time with the people where they're working, with the women that they're working, or the men that they're working with. And they begin to wonder why they lose attraction to their husband or wife. If they'd spend the time with their husbands and wives, they ought to, they wouldn't be attracted to the others. You need to spend time with them and listen to your wife. I remember a funny record some years ago, the Bickersons, called the Bickersons. And his famous statement was, I always hear you, Blanche. I always hear you, Blanche. He never heard a thing she'd say. She'd say something to me. I always hear you, Blanche. And you know something? 
every man I have ever known, unless he's really worked at it, has problems in that area. There have been times people have said something to me and I say, that's a good idea, that's a good thought. And Beverly later she'd say, honey, last week and last month, that's exactly what I told you. Honey, I'm sorry I didn't hear you. Oh, I heard her, but it wasn't important. All of a sudden somebody else said, you know what that does for her? But you and I need to listen to our wife. Let me just, let me insert something. You and I may miss a lot of things that God has to say to us because we don't listen to our wives. Because a lot of times when you and I won't listen to our wives, God says, I'll teach you something. I'll tell your wife something. And you won't hear it unless you listen to her. There have been times that Beverly has said, you know, the Lord just spoke to me about thus and such. And I learned to have my ears go right straight up when she'd say that. Because I found out, you know, I, let me tell you something. The old male ego, I used to go into prayer and say, dear God, if you've got something to say to me, you don't have to tell my wife. Tell me. And he as much as said, no, I'm going to tell your wife because I want you to realize that you two are one and you better listen to her too because I can speak to her and if you miss it, you're going to miss what I've got to say to you. I want you to know you need her. Fellas, your wife has a sense, a sixth sense that you don't, you'll never have. They'll pick up things. I don't know, honey, but I just sense it in my spirit. Don't you ever ignore that. I just don't feel easy about this. Don't you ever listen. You know what? I've seen so many husbands that look like bulldozers in their house. You're negative. You're never, you're never positive about this. Don't worry about this. Get out of the woman. Just sign that woman. Just move out of the way. I don't want to hear anything from you. You're headed for sure disaster because you don't listen to what your wife has to say. And God can speak through her just as quickly as he can speak through you, to you. And if you miss it, you're going to miss it. And that's why I say over and over again, never, ever make any quality decisions, any substantial decisions, financial, business, or otherwise, without the counsel of your wife. You say, well, she doesn't understand it. Then that's your fault. The two of you are one. You ought to explain everything to her. You explain it to the other people you work with. Come home and say, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. Pray about this, honey. What do you think about this? When they say, uh-uh, 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 and you say, well, she just is going to be negative. No, go back and give her some more information. I have to repeat this again. When we got ready to sell the corner property out there, Beverly just didn't think we should do it. I said, honey... We're going to have to, as far as finances are concerned, let me explain to you why. This, 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 and this. Another year, and we're going to be eaten up by this interest. The rate is going right now. We've got to do something. I said, can we just sit down and make some stipulations as to what we would require if we were to sell the corner? Well, okay. So I said, let's be, let's be precise. It's got to be this type of a building. It's got to be this type of thing. Can't have this. And won't have this. And it's got to be this price. And blah, blah, blah. Right down the line. I said, okay, now, can you come into agreement that that's the way it'll be? Yeah. Okay, if this happens, then we'll know it's God, right? Yeah. Now, I'll tell you something. I wouldn't have moved if it weren't that way. A broker came to my yard and said, we'd like to buy the front corner. I got a doctor who'd like to buy the front corner out there. And I said, well, here's the stipulation. Blah, 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 blah. Went right down the line. He said, I see no problem with that whatsoever. I'll draw up the contract and bring it to you. Brought me the contract, took it in, said, honey, look at here. Blah, 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 right down the line. I was in hope the corner wasn't going to sell, but she says, it must be God. She wasn't negative. She just wanted to be informed. She wanted to feel like she was a part of that decision. Because you are one. Can you imagine starting out the door there and saying, right arm is going to go get some pizza and the left arm is going to go get some gas? It just don't happen. It's like saying, put your shoulder to the wheel, your ear to the ground, your hand on the plow, and try to work in that position. It's just as impractical for you or me as a husband 
to expect to make decisions in the home by ourselves without considering and listening to what our wife has to say. I think some of you probably know of times when you didn't listen to your wife or didn't come into full agreement with your wife and you made decisions and you've lived to regret it. I know it's so. Now that doesn't mean that your wife is dominating you. It means you're acknowledging that the two of you are one and she's not inferior. But you know it's an amazing thing to me how men criticize their wives and what they're actually doing is saying, I made a dumb decision. They're really showing how stupid they are if they say their wife is, is dumb and a poor choice. Because I didn't choose their wife for them. I'm going to show you later on what God says about your wife and it might tell you something about yourself. Quickly though, the third thing is we need to show them respect. I'm bringing up respect in several different aspects here. But I'm talking about the marriage ceremony says I will love, honor, and cherish her till death do us part. Now, I got out my dictionary just to find out what the word cherish means. I mean, most of us know what love means, I hope, what it means honor. And I got the word cherish, and I thought I'd see what it says. It says to hold dear, to treat with affection, to care for tenderly, to cling to, to keep or guard carefully. Isn't that incredible? When we went to the altar, we said, Lord, I promise you and this wife before all these witnesses that I will hold this woman dear to me. I will treat her with deep affection. I will care for her very tenderly because she's a weaker vessel. I will cling to her and her only and I will keep her and guard her carefully. I will protect her very carefully. She is not going to be my old lady. Instead, she's going to be my sweetheart. She's going to be my queen in high regard. Proverbs 18.22 says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor from the Lord. I want to say it again. I believe with all my heart the reason God has blessed me in so many ways, materially and other ways, is because I obtained favor from the Lord through the wife that I received. I really believe that. And a lot of us, if we don't receive favor from the Lord, it's because we have been mistreating our bride. We've not been the godly influence to her to encourage and build her up and strengthen her so that God can speak through her to us and speak to us and bless us and give all the blessings of Abraham to us. Now, just turn with me to Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter and the ninth verse. And I'm not going to read it to you out of the Living Bible. I mean, out of the King James. I'm going to read it to you out of the Living Bible. Ecclesiastes 9, 9. I'll read it out of the King James first. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee unto the Son all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the Son. Let me read that to you out of the Living Bible. It says, Live happily with a woman you love or your wife through the fleeting days of life. Now get this. Listen now. For the wife God gives you is your best reward down here for all your earthly toil. Your wife is your best reward here on earth for all your earthly toil. Now, if you think you got a rotten deal and God gave you a reward, you can get a picture of what God thinks about the way you are, evidently. He said, I'm rewarding you for the work you're going to do on earth. So look at your wife and, and realize God says, that's your reward. Now, you can make of it whatever you want to. If you make that reward a blessing in your home and a blessing to you, 
then you're going to enjoy it. I had a couple tell me one time, we've been married now for almost 40 years, and it has been hell on earth for 40 years. And it gets worse every day. But we're not about to separate because we know we're married for life. And I said, well, how about a suggestion? Why don't the two of you change your attitude toward each other so you don't have hell for the next 40 years? No. No. I'm going to change. That's when you get exactly what you deserve then. You need to be miserable. I mean, it's one thing to admit that you had nothing but misery for 40 years, but to admit you're going to go for the next 40 years and no one plans on moving, there's something missing. Live happily with the woman you love, the wife, through the fleeting days of life. For the wife God gives you is your best reward down here for all your earthly toil. Powerful truth. 